0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes, and Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future.
1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK Director David Leach. David, I trust you are well.
2: Giles, I am well. I trust uh, your health is improving and I trust all our uh, our listeners are looking forward to getting into a post-COVID world as much as uh, I'm sure you and I are well, the
1: light is at the end of the tunnel, so it speaks. Look, there's quite a bit to talk about today, but I think we're going to go straight into our interview for the day that we've actually pre-recorded. It's with Stephen Davy. He's one of the longest serving, as we will find out, one of the longest serving um, CEOs um, in the Australian market, and he's stepping down this week as the chief executive of Hydro Tasmania, with whom he has been for 15 years. So here's Stephen Davy, the CEO of Hydro Tasmania. Stephen Davey, um, CEO of Hydro Tasmania. Thanks for joining the Energy Insiders podcast once again.
3: Oh, look, that's, that's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, look, it seems a momentous occasion after just over, I think, seven years. You're, this is your final week as CEO of Hydro Tasmania. I think that probably makes you just about one of the longest serving CEOs of any um, generator in Australia, wouldn't it?
3: Uh, well, I think there's, been, there's, there's plenty of people who who have done this job for a long time, I think around the industry, but, uh, no, it's been, it's been great. And, um, you know, the family and I moved down to Tasmania, uh, 15 years ago to, to start here at hydro as, as hydro joined the national market. And, um, so I've seen the company really change. And then it's been a real honor over the last seven years to, to be the CEO as well. And, um, uh, and it's time for someone else to, to take the, uh, to take the baton and run with it. Um, because you know, Tasmania is at a particularly interesting point now when it comes to renewable energy development. So I'm very keen we're, we're,
1: to... No, sorry, I just interrupted you there. Um, it is a very interesting point in development. Before we get into the details of the different things, I'm just wondering, I mean, when you started as CEO seven years ago or even started at Hydro Tasmania 15 years ago, could you possibly have imagined the sort of market that we are now envisaging for the future of Australia, so on the mainland and the whole national electricity market, we have a integrated system plan from AEMO, which talks about between seventy and up to ninety four percent renewables by twenty forty. Tasmania has its own plan to go two hundred percent renewables um, by um, over the next 10, 20 years, and be and, and and export even more back into the grid. Were such things even contemplated just seven years ago?
3: Well, I think the the, the big thing is is that's that's happened is that we've we've all known for uh, a couple of decades that we're that we're we're going to be headed on this you know, decarbonisation path and, and uh, there were lots of different thoughts about how lower emissions electricity was going to be going to be generated uh, and a couple of decades ago uh, I don't think many people would have picked that it was going to be wind turbines and and PV that was going to solar PV that was that, that was going to you know win the race so comprehensively. If you if you remember, we were talking about um, uh, you know um, geothermal energy, uh, focus solar energy. Probably a lot of talk about carbon capture and storage, um, either for for gas or for, for coal, and all those other technologies have dropped by the wayside. And so renewables and intermittent renewables and how to integrate those renewables and the need for storage has sort of become the the dominant part of the, the conversation. So yeah, I think the um, the integrated system plan is a very important step along the way because I think it is that it is that detailed detailed roadmap of how of how the uh, how investment needs to be mapped out into the future. That's that's needed in this kind of environment. The transition is so is so um, fast, and also it's so much uh, so it's triggered by lots of different different regulatory and policy instruments. That um, the other the other things that we need to to bring into the market at the same time, whether it's storage, uh, transmission, uh, new new security services, reliability services, it's a lot to do at once. And so, uh, so I think the integrated system plan is a good approach, uh, but also the, the kind of uh, uh, market settings and market rules that we need to to bring on um, the other, you know, the other other ancillary ancillary services, you know, fast frequency response, inertia. Uh, voltage support. I think those those are those are important parts as well. So this this whole look at the market design, I think, is a, at a really important point.
2: Let, let's come back to that and let's unpack a couple of those things, uh, mm. Steve. I, I uh, one of the things I've been extremely focused on this year and hope to talk more about is the uh, seasonality, I guess, of, of, of wind and solar uh, compared to uh, demand, and you know what that actually means for things like storage and stuff like that. And I know Hydro Tasmania, partly talking its own book, of course, but uh, partly I think very genuinely uh, has been making the case for deep storage. Uh, um, uh, do you want to talk a, a little bit more about why you think deep storage uh, is, 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 is a good idea in the NIM?
3: Yeah. Well, and, it's going to be a good idea in, in all sorts of power systems around the world as well, not just in Australia's national market. the 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 point of deep storage is that in a in a typical day um, there'll be a um, a demand peak in the a net demand peak in the morning and a, a net demand peak in the evening, uh, a supply of solar throughout the day, and then um, and then wind generation coming and going. Uh, as as, uh, as the wind is, as the wind is blowing. But of course there will be periods where where it's uh, not very windy for long periods of time and other periods where it's not very sunny for, for, for long periods of time. And so the, um, the storage that you need to to run that di- daily cycle uh, of a few hours what just just won't be enough uh, to to keep customers satisfied uh, with for their energy requirements. You know, while there's a, a low wind period or a, a sustained cloudy period, or the or the or the two combined, so that's where where other forms of energy production, whether it's storage uh, from existing hydro, or whether it's storage from um, from from a, a bigger reservoir pumped hydro, or you know, as, as some people would say, well, that's the that's the spot that um, that the the gas fire generation that'll remain in the system will will fill as well. Uh, but it has to be filled some way. But I think also, you, when you talked about um, demand as well, it, a lot of that um, seasonality, seasonality and intermittency uh, has to be, has to be um, met by uh, adjusting demand at times as well. So there'll be, there'll be a place for demand-side management to, to, uh, to fill as well, to, to, to try to come up with this mix. So there'll be this optimised mix of short-term storage, long-term storage, other other kinds of devices that uh that'll be in the in the system which are things like the you know open cycle gas turbines at the moment but they could be they could be uh gas turbines with with hydrogen sitting behind them uh and you know agl are, uh, i think they've already completed their um their reciprocating engine power plant uh over an ag uh, over in um, um south australia, south australia so, Park of Inlet. yeah. Yeah, so there's lots of there's lots of you know new kinds of devices and existing devices that can that can meet that need, uh, and the, the key is to set up a, um, a a future market design that gives the right signals to to initially investors in all of those assets and all those demand side management possibilities, but also then it gives the right signals in real time for for the um, for those uh, assets to be to, to, to be deployed to. Give the highest amount of reliability possible for the for the lowest possible cost to customers, because in the end, yep. that's I, 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 that's what I, I, people I expect. See, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, I can see people. You want to talk about the market design, and and we do too. But I just want to ask uh, of the existing sort of uh, system um, very quickly, because it's very important. Hydro Tasmania can't really do anything without more transmission to to the mainland. That's correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and you know, but even though you've got a great strong balance sheet, you don't want to be uh, funding that yourself. Even though all the wind and solar guys are going to have to fund their transmission themselves, but uh, um, uh, I just wanted to ask you about the RIT test uh, from from where you've seen it from a number of different angles, I guess, whether because the the, the studies that. Um, uh, have been done into the Marinus link have often talked about the greater benefits uh, to the Tasmanian economy and perhaps to the Victorian economy that probably don't get caught uh, in the RIT test strictly. And we also see existing electricity retailers, gen uh, gentailers like Origin and Energy Australia talking about meat you know, a non uh, a non market need or something or whatever they call it. I, I, what are your thoughts about the RIT test? Is it? Do you think it's uh, satisfactory for developing transition in in this fast development world we're going into?
3: Well, I must admit that's my uh, of all the areas that we could talk about. That's 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 not an area of of, of uh, personal expertise for me. I've never I've never been in a never worked in a regulated business and don't. I don't profess to be an expert, but I do think that the, the, the there's two things. One is that the the settings that have been used um, for the last few decades, the last couple of decades, have really uh, uh, swung to um, protecting customers by ensuring that assets don't get built, that don't meet a fairly high bar for, for customer benefits. So that's the first thing. That's good if you don't want to make prices go up. But it but it makes it makes it hard to uh, to get investments through, and if so, if you need a lot of investment, we've kind of got a process that's designed for for slowing down and 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 inhibiting that decision making, if that makes sense. And the second uh, part of the the regulatory test is that uh, if, even if an asset gets regulated and um, uh, gets uh, a regulated income stream, at the moment. The way that that regulated scheme, that regulated income stream, is allocated to beneficiaries is um, is pretty rudimentary, and uh, that needs to be that needs to be more sophisticated, particularly for interconnectors. So, uh, whether it's an interconnector or whether it's a transmission line out to a renewable energy zone, uh, you know, who are the beneficiaries, and making sure the beneficiaries, uh, either for investment or for for customer benefits, are um, are all are all identified and, and they are the ones that, that end up end up end up paying. So I think those are the two deficiencies with the regulatory test at the moment. The fact that the uh, ISP identifies uh, preferred investments means that I think that those investments will get up, will um, will start to progress. But uh, I do know that the that the Coag process and the um, and the ESB are sort of looking at looking at how to improve those rules. Um,
1: just a couple of questions, um, um, Stephen. Just about you mentioned deep storage. I, I remember the Tamblin review that came out a couple of years ago. It sort of looked at, um, you know, the the, the competition um, between pumped hydro storage and, and battery storage, and did raise questions about whether battery storage would actually beat um, pumped hydro on on costs. And um, and I guess there has been some question marks raised about things like um, the Snowy Two Point Zero um, scheme. Um, other pumped hydro projects are still stored at the gate, those smaller ones. So, I mean, how confident are you that, um, that something like battery, na- battery of the Nation can actually sort of stack up to batteries, or would it be simply in that deep storage which, um, which you've been talking about?
3: Yeah, so the, the schemes that we're looking at in Tasmania, we, we needed to ensure that they were very useful to the market um, for a, a long time, by by looking at that longer term storage, so I think that if you were paying one and a half to two million dollars per megawatt for two to four hours of storage, you could quite rightly say that that um, uh, in a few years batteries might be that might be that cheap. But when you're looking at twenty hours worth of storage, uh, it's going to take a a lot further along that learning curve before before batteries can compete with with one and a half to two million dollars worth of of um, Say twenty hour storage behind a behind a pumped hydro station, but not all not all pumped hydro plants are going to be that going to be that well priced. I mean, we've we've gone through uh, the whole of Tasmania and looked at fourteen different projects and found uh, three that that we want to take forward to get to that final final um, good project. And so, uh, and that's in a state where there's lots and lots of prospective sites. We found a handful of very good ones. Uh, so pumped hydro, good pumped hydro sites are hard to find. And um, once once Australia's found all of those, there won't be other ones that are as good, whereas batteries like solar and like wind will be far more able to be replicated in terms of technology. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the good pumped hydro sites uh, with, with uh, longer storage durations, Will make a lot of sense, and other pumped hydro sites that are very, very well located will also will also make a will also make very good sense. And the Snowy Hydro Scheme, Snowy 2.0, is very well located. So, so it's um you know it's got the potential to really strengthen the grid and provide um, provide long term storage that's going to be useful to the whole of the East and Seaboard, not just to not just to one location. So um, well,
2: it'll need some I, transmission I can't,
3: it'll need some transmission lines as well that's right (laughs) and so and so does the tasmanian idea so we've got to make sure that the that the transmission cost as well as the as well as the storage as well as the renewable energy um that can be built is competitive in the national stage and that's the work that we've done uh you know the, the the white papers that we've put out over the last few months uh do do demonstrate that on a cost act basis taking into account the cost of the additional renewables taking into account the cost of the additional transmission the tasmanian opportunity is still cost competitive for the for the national market and and, and so it should be if it's if it's not it shouldn't be the thing that goes ahead uh, steve i
2: i'd congratulate tas hydro and i, I guess people like cameron potter and uh, uh for having put those white papers together they are pretty good back to you giles
1: I had just one little question about system strength. I found it quite curious that that, um, AEMO has actually sort of talked about sort of system strength issues in Tasmania. You've just gone from two. I think there's sort of two, uh, another, had two wind farms there for quite a while. Another two have been constructed at the moment. The plans um, for the Battery of Nation project, of course, talk about um, many more um, wind farms, including a couple of um, really big ones, does the system strength issue, it it just seems curious, an island like um, Tasmania, which is mostly sort of hydro and synchronous machines and things like that, I guess it's because wind is displacing that. Is that a a major issue for for you? Is that something that you need to think about? Is that AEMO's problem? Um, And what might the solutions be? Is it going to be synchronous condensers or grid forming inverters?
3: Well, in Tasmania, we've been dealing with these issues from from the from when BassLink started. So when we're on constrained import, uh, with you know, almost five hundred megawatts of imports, uh, three hundred megawatts of wind generation. When when demand is quite low, uh, there can only be there might only be two or three hundred megawatts of of hydro generation actually running. So we've been using hydro plants and gas plants in syncon mode, in synchronous condenser mode to create that system strength because that conversion's been the most cost-effective way. So we've been working with um, uh, Nemco and then AEMO to, to ensure that uh, having those units online, maybe in synchronous condenser mode or, or just uh, generating uh, small amounts, is, is the right mix of assets to uh, provide the inertia and, uh, and you know, voltage support system strength that are, that are required. But that's because that's the assets that we've got there. Uh, uh, I think in the in the NEM, the um, it'll be the the optimization of the assets that are that are available, whether it's inverter based technology or more traditional rot- rotating mass generation. Optimising that, both in generation and on in on and sync-on mode, and then and then you know what on top of that is required to to maximise system strength while also maximizing the, the the utilization of assets that 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 people have already built so maximizing the the utilization of the wind farms and solar farms that have that have been you know if they've already been constructed the most efficient thing to do is to is to only add the minimum amount of devices to to um, to get as much of that wind and hydro online and i think that's what so, you know that's so, where so, we're moving to yeah carry on
2: yeah no I, I will and I, I it sort of brings me to the question about markets and inertia markets but uh, let me ask it much more broadly i know you've been uh uh on the uh, part of the groups that are, esb is having look at the post 2025 market design and i guess it goes into the whole future of the esb which we shouldn't touch on now but i just uh how do you feel? What's your thinking about how that work is progressing? And uh, are you in a position to say something about what you think the main elements of it are, are, are going to be, and how I guess generators and consumers should be should be thinking about that already?
3: Well, the ESB are, are due to put out their discussion paper in a, in a week or so, which is really kind of setting setting out all the all their thinking on these issues that that's been distilled in the last in the last year or so, and um, you know. Obviously, people will see this report, and it's talking about security, um, reliability, signals, um, uh, commitment of assets, and and pretty much demand side, customer side participation. And I think all those four those four areas in balance are going to going to be required. But there's there's you know dozens of different ideas floating around in each of those four areas. And um, to me, I've still got an open mind. I don't, I think that the key thing is that the transition is going to be quite fast and that there's a lot of uh, new renewables getting built and it, and it, they need, so we need to work out how to accommodate the, those new renewables and that the, and that the um, uh, letting the market to sort it out, letting the market sort it out by itself won't, won't um, uh, meet stakeholder expectations. It won't, Meet the needs of, uh, of of the community in general. It won't need meet the needs of businesses, and it won't meet the needs of, of politicians who will expect expect to see that solutions are are being put in place. And for me, the kind of the example is that we've seen years of high prices, and normally the way a market would uh, would would turn out is that the high prices would see a lot of investment in the things that. Uh, are lacking when the prices are high. Uh, uh, and then now we've seen prices collapse across the NIM because of uh, a little bit of extra renewable generation, but also because gas prices have uh, dropped and, um, and COVID has led to a little bit of a, a slowdown and, uh, and change in the in the shape of the demand. But it wasn't precipitated by a lot of extra investment in dispatchable resources. So we've seen the high prices that are supposed to cause that investment so the customers have seen the pain, and now and now that we've, we're seeing low prices, which remove all those market signals, but but the investment hasn't actually happened. So that's not that's not a market working. That's a market kind of giving customers the pain of the high price, but the high the price signal hasn't hasn't led to the the big investment cycle in in dispatchable capacity. In fact, as you observed, uh, pumped hydro projects have been um, pro- proposed, but they haven't managed to. Haven't managed to get uh, invested in just yet. There's only been a, you know, a very small handful of pumped hydro projects committed to, despite the despite the very high prices that w- that, that customers have been withstanding for the last three years or so. So I think a more um, a more structured uh, signal. Um, so some kind of some kind of uh, capacity signal. So it might be a beefed up version of the of the reliability. Signal that we've got at the moment, the RRO, uh, or it might be a beefed-up version of the, of the, um, of the, uh, the the auctions that Emo run to for the for, for reliability, the, the RERT process. I don't know what we'll end up doing, but there are lots of different models um, in the world, and uh, uh, you know Australia, you know, we probably want to change as little as possible, but enough to make the the difference mm. in the investment signal that's that's required. So reliability, that reliability signal is the one I've been looking at mostly, but but that's mixed in with what the customer side customer participation is, and it's also mixed in with uh, security because the the assets that provide reliability are going to be the same assets. hopefully that provide security, otherwise we're we're paying for two lots of assets.
1: And hopefully they provide some flexibility as well, um, and not just sort of simple capacity markets. But I, I guess the I guess this discussion paper will be a discussion paper, and we'll have various options which people would think can then sort of put in their two cents worth.
3: Yeah, and I think that re- word reliability and security do mean that we've got that flexible assets. It's not you know they they should be seen as 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 bywords for each other. I think reliability, reliable reliability the reliability you- signal. Sorry.
1: Yes but will it will it include the, include the environment because that's been the big thing that's been left out of the NEM for the last twenty years someone 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 forgot to put the environment in there
3: yeah so i my 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 perspective on that is that the um, is that the that the um, incentives for renewables are kind of where that where that response to the environmental pressure is now showing up and so the the market design has to accommodate. The renewables going in, uh, not resist the renewables going in. Does that make sense? I don't want to yeah, be too. I, yeah, I don't yeah, want to be yeah, too yeah, firm on that, yeah, but yeah. that's what the. That's what's missing at the moment is the market design is not particularly accommodating well, the way, to the, the, the renewables.
2: The way I see the see see, it's interesting. I I think it could be markets for things like inertia, uh, 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 and and um, I also I guess when you just. Um, The the trouble is that you, one way or another, whether it's dispatchable power or renewable power, uh, which is basically variable, uh, then you're still trying to force it into a market where there isn't going to be a price signal. One reason why we didn't see that much dispatchable power built during the time of high prices is because everyone knew there was a lot of new uh, wind and solar, a a lot of new energy supply coming anyway. Uh, And there isn't and there still isn't much of a price signal really for to build new dispatchable power uh, outside of which the economics for for, uh, that is in terms of the relative costs of the different forms of dispatchable power, whether they're pumped hydro or battery or gas, it's still unclear which is actually going to be uh, a good winner. And the fundamental problem is that when prices are low, it's hard to get much new investment at all in traditional markets and so if you're in somewhere like new south wales and you can see all these coal stations closing uh, can you just rely on the energy market to produce uh, enough uh, new supply or do you need a market design that makes sure the new supply comes in in time and at the same time, by doing that, signs the death warrant of the existing supply. I just don't know, <laughs> just to put it yeah. Very I thought I think but. I think
3: yeah. The way you have described it's ex- exactly right. Um, the um, it's and that's exactly what that that, that reliability reliability adequacy uh, signal or, or you know services. That's the that's exactly what that that part of the. Uh, energy security boards' work is about so how do you how do you, if you if the energy market alone can't provide that signal, what additional measures are needed to to provide that signal for flexible capacity, for storage, so that the so that the variable resources do work in the in the energy system. I think that's that's exactly the problem we've got, and I'm hopeful that the post 25 market design um, addresses that. But that's kind of really up to stakeholders over the next few months, and you know and how they respond to the, the work the ESB done so far, and uh, and uh, and where the arguments where the arguments land, uh, and um, you know what what rule makers and, and politicians decide.
1: Stephen, it's um, all ahead it of us. Indeed it is. Look, Stephen, um, we've probably got to wrap it up now because I know that we're all sort of on very tight deadlines. What's next for Stephen Davy? then? Um, I just noticed on your LinkedIn profile you only finished school the same year as I do, so you can't be retiring. Otherwise, it means I have to retire as well. But um, what do you plan next <laughs> and um, do you have any firm plans of what's after Hydro Tasmania?
3: I don't have any really firm plans yet. Um, my plan is to keep a house, keep, keep living here in Tasmania um, by and large. Because uh, you know, I've really I've been down here 15 years with the family, and we're really we re- really like it here. Um, it's a particularly good place uh, during this epidemic. I can tell you, it's we're, we're doing a we're doing very well down here in Tasmania. Uh, but the um, you know, I want to stay in renewable energy in energy policy, uh, and um, uh, you know, keep busy. You know, I hope to work. I hope to continue working full time in um, in. That kind of field, and if it's if it's not a single full time job, then I'll uh, I'll hopefully build a a collection of things to do to to keep myself busy. And uh, you know, I I find this stuff really interesting. Uh, And also, it's you know, as 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 you do, I'm sure it's kind of it's one of the kind of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to solving a much bigger problem.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, Stephen Davy, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast, and we wish you well for the future.
3: No, that's been great. It's been a good good to have the conversation. Thanks.
1: And that was Stephen Davey, the CEO of Hydro Tasmania. Apologies if there was a bit of an interruption there in the middle. I'm going to blame the full moon, had one technical problem, but we sought to resolve it. David, um, very interesting discussion with Stephen and particularly interesting with the markets. And um, as he mentioned, I think the ESB discussion paper is coming out sometime soon and we understand it could actually be out early next week. So it's going to be quite fascinating to see what's in there because it's going to be absolutely crucial for the future of this market.
2: Well, there is, but there's still an awful lot of things to go. I mean, that's post-2025. And in my opinion, uh, uh, as interesting and important as that is, there's an awful lot of time to go until then, uh, uh, before which we have to sort out these blasted grid and transmission issues. Um, and, and, and I hope the ESB can make some more progress on fast tracking some of that, as as uh, Steve uh, sort of alluded to uh, briefly, and, the, the, uh, well, I guess that, that's the that's the main point, really. We've got to sort out the transmission. Absolutely, yes.
1: Well, it is, and, and look, in, in that context, it was interesting to see the Victorian government putting up its hand um, today, um, saying that it wanted to secure another 600 megawatts of wind and solar capacity um, to make sure that its operations, which include hospitals and um, transport and um and uh, what have you, uh, 100% renewable. Um, Fantastic signal from the Victorian government. I guess it's something that um, um, the market has wanted to hear. There'll be no short of contenders, as we've seen when the New South Wales government has put up its hand for renewable energy zones. I guess the big question Victoria is, well, where the hell are they going to connect anytime soon?
2: Well, that's right. And uh, a few points to make about that, because there's been a lot of doom and gloom about the slowdown in in new investment, and I think to an extent it's justified, but... uh, you know, people want to understand that these things can't, no market I've ever seen, the, the course of true love never did run smooth, as, uh, as someone said once upon a time. Uh, and so it is with renewable energy. But we have seen the state governments who have been united on numerous conferences at, uh, uh, all in their desire to do better for Australia um, and their states. We've seen fantastic uh, effort from the Queensland government this year. Uh, we've seen uh, an innovative and also equal, almost equally fantastic effort in New South Wales without committing any real dollars or only a minimal amount, but still generating enthusiasm and signalling in such a strong and clear way has to be fully rewarded. And we've always known uh, that Victoria is strong. As we've mentioned briefly, Tasmania has its 200% uh, renewable target that's going to be legislated by 2040. But more importantly, I think 150% by 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 2030, which is probably about another 5 terawatt hours uh, of renewable energy. And South Australia and West Australia are there. There's only really, um, I, do we, should we talk about the federal government and, and CFC and... Uh, <laughs> How to, you
1: know, well, well, why not? Look, I'm just, just, just as we segue in there, um, look, it's really interesting to note, a couple of things I just want to note on the record before we do the CEFC. You talked about all the governments wanting to do action. Um, now we've seen BHP sign a, it's only a five-year contract, but um, ironically, it's to power half and to deliver half the power needs of its um, Queensland coal mines, which is actually metallurgical coal, and that's done through Clean Coal and will help support the Western Downs and the part of the McIntyre um, wind farm, which Clean Coal are building. And we've also seen the upgrade of the Tesla big battery now, which is going to be fantastic. It's going to be really fighting inertia services. And we talked a lot about that recently. That's great. It's bigger, but it's no longer the world's biggest. But we do come back down to this idea about what the hell are we doing at federal level? And it's been a bit disturbing, I think, in the last week to see Angus Taylor pushing through with this grid transmission fund, um, which he's finally put legislation through to parliament he seems to be very keen on the Clean Energy Finance Corporation investing in gas. He's tried to explain, tell us that that's what the CFC always already does, but actually that's not true. He's kind of been found out again because they inherited one gas asset from when CFC was known as something completely different, low carbon Australia, where it wasn't in fact the CFC; it was a different organisation. So, um, look, I've almost run out Steve, David. What, what, what do you make of this wrangling with the CFC? It's it's, it's it's a bad signal, and I guess it's just part of the collective. Bad signals that we're getting from the federal government.
2: Well, if you know, let's. Uh, it's easy. It's so easy to get down on 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 the, on the minister who comes across as a clown in in, in these areas quite a lot. Um, I, it, it will always depend on how. <laughs> Sounds like an
1: invitation. <laughs> it, will, it, will, it, will, it, will, it will. Sorry, uh, go ahead.
2: It, It'll depend on how things go in the Senate. But the point I want to make is that it, it, um, in the same way. That we get this fantastic attitude from matt keen in new south wales it's almost certainly he's appointed to that job by the premier gladys Berejiklian you know knowing that he's going to take that stance in the same way uh, pointing the finger at taylor really you have to look further up the chain uh, to scott morrison and also see then that actually scott morrison's hands are tied if we want to talk politics which we don't really want to do too much but the way I see it is that the biggest lock of members in the liberal in the federal uh, party room come from Queensland. They're much less than thirty percent of the population in Queensland, but they're thirty percent of the voting members, and they have uh, they are far more conservative. And yet, the majority that the uh, that the uh, government has is very small. So in a way, Scott Morrison, no matter what he thinks, and I'm sure he doesn't think very good things about renewable energy anyway, but even if he did, his ability to actually do anything about it, let's say he was Malcolm Turnbull, he couldn't do anything. They're stuck because they need the Queensland votes. And as soon as he deviates, uh, you know, it's as much as he can possibly do to get them thinking about gas instead of coal. Um, and so I just want to leave, it's, you know, focusing on the clown in the room uh, doesn't uh, actually get you to the real position. It's a a tough nut to crack.
1: Well, it is a tough nut to crack, and I guess we should be thankful then that um, the rest of the institutions seem to be getting on with it. Um, You know, we do have the ISP, um, we do have the rewrite of the market rules, we do have the state government's acting to, um, you know, sending all the right signals saying they want to get on, I guess the state governments are probably going to have to, I mean, you talked about New South Wales talking the talk, I guess they're going to have to actually get some dollars out of the um, out of the back pocket and, um, and lay the foundations for this renewable expansion because we might not see it at the federal level anytime soon.
2: No, although, it, you know, um, to look again at the positive side, uh, which I'm trying to do because it's so easy to be negative, but you can say that there is support... Uh, however soft it was coming from the minister when the ISP was released for a couple of these transmission links, including uh, the Marinus project and of course, including the ones that benefit Snowy, which is the links uh, essentially between New South Wales and Victoria and and from uh, Snowy up, to stronger links up to New South Wales. So <laughs> the government owns Snowy, it needs those transmission links. So, you know, let's, let's back self-interest there um and, and and so there is some some support for it all going on and also to come back to matt keen again i mean queensland has reasonably strong transmission and we should mention their renewable energy zones very quickly as well giles and uh because there's a lot more that, that needs to be said about them and uh as well and particularly getting north queensland in, in, into the uh mix but in new south wales you know matt keen is tackling the main problem at the moment is the lack of transmission I think many people believe if there was more transmission in the system right today, then we would have more projects being announced. I mean, that's been the CEC made it very clear uh, when they asked all the big developers, what's the biggest problem? It's transmission. And so it's transmission, it's transmission, it's transmission. Let's get it fixed.
1: Mm, Absolutely. David, look, I think that's probably a nice place just to end there. Look, it's been a great talk with um, Stephen Davey um, and we look forward to seeing the um, discussion paper on the market rules next week, which um, will be interesting and subject of um, passionate and fierce debate, no doubt. I'd like to um, thank very much our sponsors, um, Evergen and Pylon. Um, We thank you both for your ongoing support. and David, um, we'll talk again next week.
2: Uh, Giles, I, I hope we'll be talking again next week and there's going to be so much to talk about, as usual. What a fantastic uh, topic it is. And as Stephen alluded to, the bigger problem is global decarbonisation. Uh, for every economist has to be interested in it. Just to mention, there's still this US $3 trillion of coal, oil and gas getting produced every, every year. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the changes that are going on make a huge difference. But let's save it for next time because you can't do it all at once.
1: Absolutely. Bye for now.
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use, solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant. Generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole, Evergen software is powering the energy of the future.